Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I'll try to give everybody a minute here. I know I'm interrupting you like always, right? Well, uh, we're here. Now there are the new green books are in the back and that's for second Peter. But we're finishing up first Peter. If we get to that, then we'll we can get those books for you if you need one, okay? So last time we left off, we're in First Peter chapter five. And we had just done question three. We're ready for question four. It's just uh, we're just looking at these first five verses of First Peter chapter five. So let me read those. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So now we were looking at question number four which is how were they to serve as elders? And he has some specific words here that he uses. Example. Be an example, right? Not domineering or lording over. Right, not, bossy, I guess. not being the boss of the sauce, not being lording it over or being you know, uh, domineering was a good word, actually. Not being dominating and, and just, you know. So, right, not, not that way. And then also he says, uh, not by compulsion, right? But eagerly. So, wanting to do it uh, as, as overseers. And then not for dishonest gain, Right? Because I can see how we, well, we know of cases where people have taken advantage of leading, you know, a congregation or a flock. And I especially think of the televangelists who, who've done a number of dishonest things that way. But, and they've done it for the wrong reasons. So, anyway, does anyone have anything else on that before we move on? All right. So if we look at question five, it says, what reward can elders look forward to when the chief shepherd appears? Actually, I'll start with a bonus question. Who's the chief shepherd? Christ, Christ right? Jesus is the chief shepherd, right? He is, he is our shepherd. He is our king. He is all those things. Okay, anyway, so what reward can the elders look forward to then? Yes, ma'am. says you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Right, the crown of glory that does not fade away, right? Now, when we think of that, what is what is what is the crown of glory? What is what is this for us? Right, and it, and it's kind of like when you think of like uh, when you think of the old days, the victor's crown. You've 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 gone through life following the Lord, and you're you're actually sharing in His victory. It's not that we've been. I mean, we have been victorious, but really only because of Jesus, not not any other reason. But uh, but we're sharing in His victory. We we get to share in His crown of victory. So, and that does not fade away. All right. So when we look at question number six, it says, what twofold duty is enjoined upon those who are younger? And we see that in verse five. Well, one thing they should be submit to right. elders. Submit to elders and... Right, be clothed with humility. Right, we, and actually, I mean, it says if you read, if you look at the way it's stated, um, you'll notice it says, "Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders." Right, and then he says, "Yes, all of you be submissive to one another." So we should definitely and be clothed in humility. So this applies to all of us as well. We don't want to pick on just one group of people, though definitely for young people, it's good to point that out because I know when I was young, yeah, I yeah, I was probably not the most humble <laughs> or best person in that sense. Not the most submissive. So, and I guess that's part of being young. That might be another way yes. to reiterate for the elders to not be domineering and say all of you be humble. Humility to one another. And that is true. That's to remind us all, even the elders, to, to have humility, right? We have to be humble. And when it's saying being submissive to one another, we're putting each other before ourselves, ahead of ourselves. We're uh, making the other person more important than ourselves. Yes, Jim? Throughout this letter, it's been about service. We are servants. Right, right. No matter how uh, or what uh, we are doing in the church, it is that we are to be a servant. Right, we are to be servants to one another, and that's a big thing that he's stressing here is that we do be servants to one another, that we are to be servants. We're act, doing an act of service just like the Lord did for us. All right. Let's see. Um, does anybody have anything else on that? All right. So we'll look at uh, the next few verses in First Peter chapter five, verses six through nine. Therefore, now therefore always means it's always referring back to what he just said. So remembering what he just said, which was you know God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
that we should be, you know, submissive and humble to one another. Say, so therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So if we look at question seven, what, uh, what were they, and we can just think of that as what are we commanded to do in relation to God? And that's in verses six and seven right there. We're told to Humble ourselves, that's right. Cast all our cares upon him. And cast our cares upon him because he cares about us, right? Yeah. So yeah, we should humble ourselves and cast our cares upon him. He is our heavenly father, and that's that's part of that whole idea. That whole attitude that we should have. So question eight. Why were they, or why are we to do this? Well, it gives two reasons that he may exalt us in due time, and that he cares for us. Right, both reasons. The, both of those are, are the reasons that he may exalt us in due time, or exalt them in due time, and because he cares for us. And that's, that's the reasons given right there. So, if we look at question nine, who is our adversary? Satan, right? Or do you do the Voldemort thing, you know, he who shall not be named or something silly like that. But no, Satan, the devil. However you want to say that, um, he is our adversary, right? So, what is he doing? Looking for someone to destroy. Looking for someone. Yeah, it says devour, but devour. destroy is actually yeah. very good too. He is looking for someone to destroy. If he can deceive you and get you off track, I mean, we know that will lead to destruction, right? Because sin leads to destruction. Right? He knows exactly what the Right. We have to realize that, okay, there's a, there's a whole, I mean, you can go into this like for a long length of time but yes he knows how to tempt you what to tempt you with um but the thing is at the end of the day he has no power over us jesus has defeated him yes he can tempt us and that's what those fiery darts are they are temptations they are things like that and he acts like a lion he behaves like a lion he's roaring he's trying to scare you and get you to think he's a lion, and if he can convince you and get you to believe that lie, he will devour you. But that's what he's looking for, someone who's weak, who's not aware of who he is and who God is. Because when we're aware, when we're prepared, he can't do that. He can't eat you. Yeah, to catch you off guard, right. That's why we have to be prepared and not be scared and not... Uh, 
not fall for that lie. He wants you to believe he still has power. That's the thing. But we shouldn't fear him. And you'll notice, I mean, you'll notice what Peter says. If we look at our next, at our next question, what should we do in regards to the devil? Right, resist him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right, resist him. We should be sober, be vigilant. And that means being prepared, being aware. You know, studying the Bible. When we get into Second Peter, it's all about knowledge of God, and that's how you're prepared. It's through knowledge of God. But we're not there just yet. So, but nonetheless, be sober, be vigilant, resist him, steadfast in faith. So that means, you know, uh, to a large part, don't be fooled either. Resist him and be steadfast in our faith and knowledge of God. So if we look at, let's see. Oh, well, okay, sorry. I guess our next section here, unless, does anybody have anything else on that? All right. First Peter chapter 5, verses 10 through 14 but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you, all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we're, we've got the final verses here. Uh, if we look at these questions, like uh, question number 11, what should encourage, and this, this does go back a little bit to verse 9 too, what should encourage them or us in our suffering? Yes, ma'am. Verse 9 says, knowing that others in faith are suffering throughout the world. You're not alone. Right. Basically, we're not alone. We're all in this, this fight together, even though we may be you know, individuals, we're still all in a lot of the same fight together. Our, our sufferings are the same for most everyone throughout the world. And then, what's the second part of that? Which really, really, that gets into verse 10. Knowing that it will be temporary, right? Knowing that it's transitory. After they have suffered a while, or after we have suffered a while, after we have gone through something, God will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. I don't think there's a one of us in here that hasn't been through uh, trials and tribulations. Right. And then we can get through those, and we do with God's help. And matter of fact, if you're the right kind of person, hopefully we're the right kind, we'll come out stronger and more prepared. Right. We all go through trials and tribulations, and 
we learn from those things, we grow through those things, and hopefully we come out the other side, like you're saying, that we will come out strengthened and better prepared, more established. And that's what he's saying here. We'll perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. Settle means to, you know, have us on the, what, the straight and narrow or the, you know, to level you out so you're not all wackadoo, as some people would say, <laughs> or whatever, so you're not all crazy and frantic, but uh, you'd be settled. All right. So, if we look at question 12, it says, by whom has Peter penned this epistle? In other words, who's he, who's doing the dict, uh, well, yeah, who's actually doing the writing, I guess, for him? Sylvanus, right? Do you have something, Matt? Did he? Silas is a different name for Silas. Oh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't think about that. Right, right. They do. Some of them do have different names, and so that could be. I'm not sure who that is. If if that's someone who you said you thought they they also helped Paul at some point, so it's yeah, possible. First Thessalonians, he's mentioned. Okay. Okay, so he is mentioned in, in Thessalonians and you said Corinthians? Yeah. Okay. All right. And then if we look at uh, question 13, what has been Peter's purpose in writing this letter? I think he says it in 12, really. He says he's written this to exhort and testify that this is the true grace of God in which in which we stand, in which we all stand. And then if we look at 14, 14, uh, question 14, who sends them greetings? And this is kind of a strange phrase. She who is in Babylon. So, what would we think that represents? Yes, Matt. Well, I know in uh, Second John, maybe maybe all of those like, little letters from John, he, he talks like that too. He writes to the elect lady. Uh, yeah. So there's some debate about well, is, is John writing to some woman over there, or is that a <laughs> reference to the, to the church? Of course, the word church in Greek is feminine and so mm -hmm. they play on words. I, I think that's what the idea is here. He's saying uh, she who is at Babylon, because that's what he is. He's in Rome. Yep. And the church here in Rome with me, we're all greeting you. I think that's what he's saying. Okay. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I also understood and believed this to be. She, saying she who is in Babylon, she is referring to the church the believers, the, the body of Christ there, which is referred to in the feminine sense as the bride of Christ, just meaning Christians, those Christians there. Um, Babylon, again, not literal, but probably in Rome, or just meaning in the sinful world in general, because that's what the man's rebellious society is, is basically, is Babylon. And you'll see references like that. Uh, I think that's how Revelation uses Babylon is just a representation of man's rebellion, rebellious society. 
So, okay, so there's that. And then there was Mark, his son. And I didn't have anything about Mark to say. <laughs> Unless y'all know something about that. Well, is it John Mark, Acts 12, 12, talks about John Mark. And he realized this. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Where many were gathered together. And that's where they were waiting for Peter to get released from prison. Okay. Miraculously, he uh -huh. came and knocked on the door and they didn't believe it was him and all that. So, I mean, they mentioned him there. I don't know if that gives us a lot of background. But right. But it, at least we know he's someone who was with Peter, though. and At least, yeah. So. And I think um, the gospel, according to Mark. Is that that Mark? It's thought that he's the same Mark and that that's part of what gives, uh, you know, because Mark's not an apostle like Peter, but said Peter... There's other late or early writings that talk about that Mark was giving the memoirs of Peter and what he was writing. Oh. And so, so that gives some background as to the Gospel of Mark and how it's really Peter's Gospel. Okay, so I hadn't heard of that. So Mark maybe was relaying the Gospel like the memoirs of Peter almost. The Gospel, according to, you might say, almost Peter. Okay, that's that's interesting. I did not know that, so... Either way, Mark is related and was with uh, was with Peter a lot. So if we look at question 15, what final charge does Peter give? To greet one another with a kiss of love, which I just cannot, it's very difficult to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, that's um, that's. I think that's just a societal hang-up we have nowadays. Back then, the way they did things, you know. Well, many nations still do. Some places still do. That's right. Customs are in some nations that do greet each other with kisses. Right. That's that's a custom in some places still. But and then his other uh, charge, or well, actually, no. It says, "What final prayer?" Peace. Peace to all who are in Christ Jesus. That's the final prayer. And that's the that's basically the end of 1 Peter. Now, like I said, we have the green books in the back. Does anyone need any? I can grab you one if you need it. Those are those are second Peter, and we can go ahead and start that. We have a few minutes. There's no point in not. Hit the wrong one because my finger is too fat. Now I'm just going to take us through the introduction here quickly and we will look at some of these questions. I want to get really into the scripture, but the introduction has its has its purpose and have its has its uh helpfulness of its own. Um, when we get to this, Second Peter, this is uh, similar to the first in that uh, to whom was this second epistle written. 
And you can see it like in chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 3, verse 1. It's written to those who had obtained a like precious faith, to those who had received or read the first epistle. And we can look at it as Christians in general, because it applies to us, definitely. But just looking at when it was originally written and how that is. And then the, the second question here on the introduction was what region of the world did they live in? And those initial recipients uh, would have been in modern-day Turkey. That was the area of those folks that they lived in, if you remember from the first epistle. And then when was the epistle possibly written? You know, they think maybe around 67 A.D. I don't want to get too hung up in some of these things because it's, I just, I don't know how in-depth we can be on, on that. Uh, even the answer itself is possibly. Um, anyway, so where, where was Peter when he wrote this? We believe he was in Rome, and we believe it's probably uh, close to his execution or not too long away. And what purpose did Peter have in writing this epistle? And if you look at some of the verses there, it's to stir up his brethren by way of reminder. He wants to remind everyone of the things that we should know to grow in the knowledge and grace of God. Um, the theme, what is the suggested theme of this is beware, be aware, be aware of what's going on, be alert, be awake, but also grow, grow in the knowledge of God. And then what is the suggest what is suggested as the key verses? And they had they had selected Second uh, Peter chapter three, verses seventeen and eighteen. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that, that is pretty much the theme, and you'll see a lot of this as we go through. If we look at uh, question eight, according to the outline above, which I know I didn't go down and pick all that, but what are the main divisions of the epistle? Um, and the main divisions they have are to grow in grace and knowledge, beware of false teachers, and look for the Lord's return. And when you look at those three things, that sounds extremely relevant to us. So, and that is our introduction to Second Peter. Now we want to move on and look to chapter one. So, and the main points of this chapter in the first couple of verses is an introduction. And then verses 3 through 21 are about growing in grace and knowledge. So those are the main points in looking at this chapter. So let's read the first four verses. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So I'm actually not going to start with their question there. I'm going to start with a bonus question. What's the first thing Peter calls himself? Yes, ma'am. Huh? Simeon. Oh, that wasn't what I was looking at, but that's okay. He does say Simon Peter. He says his name, right? Right. But he calls himself Simon Peter, but that wasn't what I was looking at. Right. A bond servant. Yeah. Shirley, did you have something else? I was just going to say a servant. Right. He calls himself a bond servant or slave. He didn't really write out the first thing say, I'm an apostle. Right. I am a servant. That's right. He said that. So he didn't say, and so we think of apostle as being this important title and position and everything, but what does he say first? That was something I was thinking of when I read that. It's like his first thing to say was, I am a servant. And that goes back to what Jim was saying earlier, that we're to be servants to one another. So... So then secondly, though, what is an apostle then? Yeah, Matt? It's the one sent with the mission, and usually we think of the 12 apostles. Right. Now, we tend to think of, like you said, the 12 apostles, but, it's, but the meaning of it is actually one that's sent like with a message or a mission as a representative. So he's saying, I am a slave or I am a servant of God and a representative or a messenger for God. But we tend to, I just think sometimes we get caught up in the word apostle as some sort of title and position, and that's really not what he's saying. He's, he's saying, I'm a humble messenger, really, in a lot of ways. Anyway, it speaks to his attitude, even though he is an elder and an apostle, somebody that we look up to. So, all right. So if we look at question number two, to whom does Peter address this epistle? Well, he says to those who have obtained like precious faith, right? So really to all of us, I mean, I know specifically back then they say that it was meant for these congregations, but it's really, all this is inspired by God. It's all for us. So it's for all of us. Then we look at question number three, in what way are grace and peace multiplied for the Christian? Well, if you'll notice how he phrases that there. Did you have something, Annie? Okay. Okay, well in Well in verse two, he says, In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, right? Now I may be paraphrasing that a little bit, but uh, in the knowledge of God and Je no, and of Jesus our Lord, right? 
So it's knowledge. So, okay, so first, what is grace? Again, these are words we kind of use, we get caught up in, but what is grace? Yes? Unmerited favor, so it's, it's the idea that we don't deserve something, but something good is going to be given to us. Right, it's the idea that we don't deserve something, but we're going to get something good. It's favor or blessing, like favoring blessing from God, right? So, and then we look at, because these are the two things he mentions, and then what, what is peace? That may, I actually had a harder time defining that. <laughs> yes, do you want to try that? I, say, I mean, simply the, the, uh, the lack of conflict would be one way to think of it. But, yes. But I think it may also hearken to the, to the Hebrew word of peace in the Old Testament and this, this idea of just being well and having success and good things. Okay, so in the Hebrew, that, that the word for peace kind of means being well and having success in good things. Is that right? Okay. All right, yeah, and see, I was looking at, like you said, in the beginning, I, the, one of the first things I wrote down was a lack of distress because I was trying to think of how do I think of peace? And I think of peace as a, a calm, kind of serene thing, you know, where I don't have a lot of distress or anything like that. Anyway... So, so that is grace and peace, right, for us. And then the knowledge of God and the Lord, if we look at this, when you look at the knowledge of God, that tells us how great his grace, his favor, and his blessings are to us. And that helps produce peace in us when we realize how great those blessings are, how much he cares for us, how much he watches out for us, what he's doing for us will produce peace because we it, it strengthens your faith and allows you to really trust in God, knowing that he's got your back no matter what we're going through. That's how I was looking at that and taking that, and that's what I understand when he says, um, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. He's saying these things. He wants those things to be multiplied to us. And so, you know. And that's how we get that is through knowledge of God. And there's, there's a lot about the knowledge of God here and how that blesses us and how that's a good thing for us. We're out of time here for this morning, so we're going to stop here. That was question three. We will pick up with question number four next week. Thank you for your time and for your attention.